Welcome to Reliability Leader, a podcast about how leaders make organizations that create reliable technology. All right, hello. And this is the final episode of season four of Reliability Leader. Now, as you may recall, the theme for this season was the human side of product development. So I thought no better way to close out this season than with a story about how I almost got punched in the face at work. True story. Um, So way back uh, after I had built the reliability organization, uh, my first one, uh, where you know I had uh, was doing folk, I was in R and D doing finite element analysis and other design work, and had uh, written some papers for them. Uh, you know, on request about reliability engineering, they were kind of curious about it, and it was really well received. And I enjoyed the topic a lot, obviously a lot, right? Ended up making a career out of it. And uh, the the leaders had said they wanted to make a department of reliability organization, and uh, they were looking to grab a thirty year expert. Uh, from IBM and bring him in and uh, if I would like to join him and together you know I could learn about reliability and uh, he and I could build this department and we did and uh, it ended up being a department of 12 people that had jurisdiction over all old and new products we had built to really big labs and you know the plan was that as as he decided to retire or leave that you know I would take over uh, the group and you know continue it um and I didn't want to do that. I like to always do new things and build things. And I knew that that department was about the size that it needed to be. So I started to look around and I found a company that was a 50-year-old medical company that uh, was uh, looking to consolidate all their reliability work in their different departments and, and create a consolidated reliability department. So I joined them. And very excitedly went in there and was ready to change everything. Um, so I started to, you know, attend design reviews and push the engineers to include design for reliability. Um, what I one thing I didn't realize is that saying that I was built that previous department was a fib, because you know obviously I was doing it under the tutelage of somebody who's very experienced with that, thirty years of experience with it. And I had also kind of forgotten the struggles we had in building that department. Um, and especially because I wasn't as much on the front line, I had him, you know, I was following him. So what I didn't realize is how much I was aggravating everybody. And um, this also was not apparent to me because they were kind of doing more of a silent protest, right? Their, their executives had brought me in and they couldn't just, uh, they didn't feel they could just voice their dislike for how I was trying to make design for reliability a part of everything. And, uh, you know, but if I kept this up too long, I think eventually it would be no longer a silent protest, you know, it could have been a real vocal protest. But uh, one incident um, that sticks out is it was in a design review and there was this design engineer, Mitchell, and um, he was just ignoring me as I was talking to him in the meeting entirely. And at the end of the 
the design review. He left and was going down the hall and I followed him and I was trying to get his attention and he eventually spun around with a very angry look on his face and his fist looked a little bit clenched. And I kind of realized, hey, I think I'll just not have this conversation, just let it go. And um, after that, I, I decided to take uh, a new approach. I decided that what I would do is really listen more. No longer try to mandate, you know, the design for reliability toolkit, you know, is something that had to be incorporated into all the design uh, efforts. I would also get in there and be a part of helping them set up the testing that was important to them, you know, with their prototypes and showing functionality and really do all I could to just be of assistance, to observe. And I started to direct more of my attention uh, managing up managing to the leaders, you know, helping them understand what was really going to be needed to make a design robust through demonstrated testing and what the expense was and that, you know, what uh, these engineers are already under tremendous pressure um, would have to be deciding between trying to do. Uh, so I wanted to be a better advisor to leadership um, almost as a representative for the engineering team. Because in truth, of course, the engineering team wants to design a robust product. So, you know, and we do have to always make compromises between, you know, all the factors in a program. So having leadership be a part of that and me to be a voice for them to understand was a much bigger help. So, you know, through this, uh, you know, change, um, I began to see a lot go better. Um, I would see the more welcoming kind of environment for me in design reviews because to some degree they knew I was going to go there and quite possibly be an advocate to leadership for the challenges they have. Leadership greatly appreciate it because they had a better insight into what was happening and understanding what their requests, demands, requirements, goals meant uh, when they were being implemented because for them it was also quite confusing to not understand why you know things weren't getting better you know they felt they were being ignored and they would say things like how come I don't see reliability tests running you know and 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 get frustrated thinking that people were just being defiant not understanding that they were overly constrained to do these so that that I would offer that, you know, as an, something to think about for both reliability teams, you know, whether you're well-established or new. Um, it's something to think about for the design engineers in trying to reach out to the reliability teams if you're frustrated with them, because they aren't looking to just, you know, be in control or to dominate for the sake of it. Um, or to be difficult, um, they have the same goals that you do. So find ways that you can begin to become advocates for each other um, and your really joint goal of making a great product. Because there's, there's also that factor that without this, you can end up in a really bad, you know, downward spiral. Because when these designs are put out there with these issues, and then the teams, instead of moving on, are forced to go in the field and try to figure out and solve these issues and ultimately just only being able to put out Band-Aids. And then when the new program comes along, 70% of the new program objectives are to take all those Band-Aids and make them you know, final solutions. So in effect, you're not creating a new product for innovation. You're creating it just to fix the existing issues. And you know that cycle can get pretty dark. 
to where you're no longer innovating and market share is dwindling and all of your time is being spent doing kind of remedial engineering. So which brings me to the story of how things ended for Mitchell uh, and myself. Uh, and spoiler alert, it ended okay, very well. Uh, we became good friends. What happened was he was called to go out to Milan, Italy, because there was uh, some emergency issues happening in the field with our product. And I immediately offered to go with him, you know, and I said, I just want to come along and just assist how I can. And he wasn't that excited about that, but he also didn't make sense. It would be kind of strange for him to turn down somebody offering to come out there and help. Um, so once we were out there, um, he saw how much I was, you know, sleeves rolled up in there doing everything he asked me to do, not asking him to do anything and just really trying to function as an assistant to help with the end goal of getting things better. And you know, that one-on-one -on -one time like that really turned him around and he saw what I saw, that we were both trying to accomplish the same thing uh, with taking technology and amazing, making amazing products that are highly robust so the customers can, you know, enjoy them or benefit. And, um, you know, by the time we got to the point that we'd really solved the issue, um, you know, I think that that was something that became cemented. And to some degree, I saw later he kind of, you know, his coming around and he kind of became an advocate for me to help that spread throughout the group of people I didn't get as much time with. So it was really fantastic. Um, but the point where I knew the profession, the friendship was cemented and not just the professional relationship is after we had finished our work and we were going to head back, we kind of did a celebration dinner at a very, very nice Italian, you know, classic Italian restaurant in, in Milan. And uh, very fancy, very upscale. Um, you know, the solutions we had figured out were already, engineers already back home were, were the issues we'd figured out, the engineers back home were already working on solutions, you know, and getting, going to implement what we had done. So we were pretty happy and, you know, we we're eating this amazing meal and having wine. And uh, just for fun, I told them, I said, hey, do you know what? I said, I know I can calculate pi, the number pi, 3.14, on and on with extreme accuracy by simply taking breadcrumbs and throwing them up in the air and having them land on the table. And so he was like, all right, that sounds really stupid, but how would that work? So I proceeded to explain and then do it. Um, it's using the principle of a Monte Carlo simulation. With a Monte Carlo simulation, you establish a relationship equation between you know, some variables and then use a random number generator uh, as inputs and through the high volume you know, of effectively calculations from the random inputs, you can establish you know, other parameters in the equation. That's the basic principle. So. Um, my calculating pi, the equation I set up was a shape on the table made from the pie plate, some other things that were there, and a square napkin. It was really the, the quarter circle of the plate and the square of the napkin that was the, um, the defining factors, the ratio of their areas and how they were oriented to each other that defined the equation. The breadcrumbs being thrown up in the air and landing on them was the random number generator. I simply had to remember or document the the ratio of where they, they landed, and from that we could calculate pi. Okay, I mean, uh, hard enough as it is, having us both drink a lot of wine, um, it went downhill pretty quick. One, we were in a very high-end restaurant and we were two very crude Americans, and I was further exhibiting that by throwing bread in the air repeatedly. 
um, which was made worse because it made him laugh like you were entertaining a four-year-old with car keys. And the more he laughed, the more I laughed. And then I couldn't remember the ratio of where the breadcrumbs had landed. So I had to keep asking him and he was trying to remember. Um, so, yeah. So in the end, uh, you know, I think we both saw that uh, um, that we both were really interested in math and both really enjoyed a good silly time. Um, so, yeah. So that's uh, that I think is a great way for me to conclude the season um, about the human side of product development. And um, the fifth season of Reliability Leader will be coming out in mid-January. I hope you all have a great holiday um, and uh, look forward to talking to you again soon.